On the surface, the European nations of Ireland and Poland may not seem that similar. They have different geography, speak different languages, and have different land areas and populations. However, taking a closer look at the two nations reveals their similarities, as well as their important relationship. They each have a predominantly Roman Catholic population. 86% of Poles and 78% of Irish adhere to the faith. They each have a rough history of conquest and being split by foreign powers. Both are members of the European Union and the OECD, and they regularly work alongside each other in foreign peacekeeping operations. The two nations are also essential trade partners for each other. Poland is able to get whiskey and pharmaceuticals, and Ireland gets poultry and furniture. When Ireland gained independence from the UK in 1922, Poland was one of the first nations to recognize their sovereignty. In Ireland, Poles are the largest foreign nationality at over 122,000 people, even more than the Brits. Polish is also the second most spoken language in Ireland, even more than the Irish language, only surpassed by English. The vast majority of Poles in Ireland are migrant workers, primarily working in construction. When Poland joined the EU in 2004, Ireland was one of only three countries to allow unrestricted immigration from Poland. Ireland remains very welcoming of Polish immigrants, with many Irish government buildings even allowing Polish workers to vote in Polish elections from Ireland. But this cooperation between the two countries isn't exclusively a modern phenomenon. Between 1845 and 1849, Ireland was the site of one of the worst humanitarian disasters in history. During this time, the Phytothora infestans mold, better known as potato blight, spread to potato crops throughout Ireland. The mold ruined the potato crops, and since potatoes were a staple food in Ireland, a massive famine ensued. The event is even considered a genocide by some, since the famine was exacerbated by high British tariffs on corn and barley, and British landlords were known to rent-rack Irish tenants, leaving many of them in poverty. The effects of the famine were devastating, to say the least. One million people died from starvation or disease, while another one million emigrated to other nations, primarily the United States, United Kingdom, Canada, and Australia. Today, there are more Irish people in each of these nations than there are in Ireland. In all, up to a quarter of Ireland's population either died or emigrated. In addition, the famine caused an irreversible decline in the Irish population over the next century. Prior to the famine, the Irish population peaked at a little under 9 million. The population didn't begin growing again until 1960, and by then, there were just under 3 million people in Ireland. Even today, the population in Ireland stands at just under 5 million. It's quite possible that the Irish population will never recover from the famine. But in spite of this tragedy, one man's generosity was able to save hundreds of thousands of lives during the famine. 
I'm going to tell you all about him right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 25th episode of this podcast, and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I do making it. Special thank you to Patreon subscriber Zack. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. Pavel Edmund Sturzelecki was born on July 24, 1797, in the Polish city of Poznan, occupied by the Kingdom of Prussia. His parents were part of the Szlachta, the Polish noble class. Sturzelecki joined the Prussian army at a young age as a member of the Polish regiment. He left the military after a few years, although how he did this is disputed. He claimed to have resigned due to his dislike for military discipline, while others believed that he deserted. Either way, he became a tutor after leaving the military. He traveled to Austria and Italy to educate students, and the 26-year-old Sturzelecki was eventually put in charge of the estate of a Polish prince. When the prince died, his son contested his will, and with some legal maneuvering, he cheated Sturzelecki out of the will. In 1829, after a brief period living in France, Sturzelecki moved to Liverpool and became a naturalized British citizen. He taught himself geology and soon left on a scientific voyage throughout Africa. After returning, he sailed to New York City and began analyzing North American soil and minerals, even finding copper in Nova Scotia. He spoke frequently during this period about his opposition to the slave trade, and after making a trek from Chile to California, he traveled to Australia. After arriving in Australia in 1839, Sturzelecki conducted some of his most famous explorations. He became fascinated with the minerals present in Australia, reportedly discovering gold and silver in New South Wales. He soon began an expedition into the snowy mountains of New South Wales. In 1840, he became the first person to reach the summit of the tallest mountain in Australia. He named it Mount Kosciuszko in honor of Polish war hero and American Revolution veteran Tadeusz Kosciuszko. Also named after him is the town of Kosciuszko, Mississippi, the birthplace of Oprah Winfrey, who owns a summer home in Lavalette, New Jersey. Continuing through the snowy mountains, Sturzelecki, his British companions, and his aboriginal guides became lost in the Gippsland region of Victoria. 
the group likely would have starved to death if one of their aboriginal companions, Charlie, didn't hunt for food to keep them alive. After following the La Trobe River, the group finally reached Melbourne after being lost for almost a month. A group of mountains and hills in Gippsland were named the Sturzelecki Ranges in honor of the explorer. Sturzelecki would spend the next two years exploring Van Diemen's land in Tasmania. In 1842, he left Australia, stopping in China, Indonesia, and Egypt before returning to England. Three years later, he published the first in-depth geological report on New South Wales and Van Diemen's Land, which was even praised by Charles Darwin. Despite his popularity, Sturzelecki decided to stop exploring foreign lands, and he settled down in London. But little did he know, his actions in the coming years would save countless lives. When the Great Famine hit Ireland in 1845, a few foreign dignitaries and philanthropists donated money to relief efforts. But following a public appeal from an Irishman named Nicholas Cummins in late 1846, massive fundraising and food distribution efforts began to help the affected nation. On January 1, 1847, a group of British bankers led by Lionel de Rothschild, yes, that Rothschild family, held a meeting at Rothschild's home in London. There, they established the British Relief Association, a charity designed to help feed starving Irish citizens. Papa Scherzelecki, who had become a member of London's wealthy elite, was tasked with obtaining and dispensing food to the Irish. He was faced with three crucial decisions, the center of operations, the food that would be distributed, and the method of distribution. The answer to the first question was pretty obvious. Operations would be centralized in the three hardest hit counties, Donegal, Mayo, and Sligo. For the food to be distributed, Sturzelecki had to decide on a food that would be most cost-effective for its nutritional value. He decided on a staple food from his home country of Poland, rye bread. Finding a way to distribute rye bread to starving families en masse proved difficult in a time before organized mail delivery. Despite this, Sturzelecki devised a simple yet ingenious way to distribute the food. Each day, he would visit hundreds of schools and deliver bread for pupils to bring home for their families. Sometimes, he'd even personally greet the children and bring them their rations. Over the course of the famine, the British Relief Association raised over 500,000 pounds. At the organization's peak, Sturzelecki was feeding as many as 200,000 people using the aforementioned method. Despite his Catholic roots, he pledged to feed both Catholic and Protestant families without any regard to their religion. Sturzelecki even contracted typhoid fever while in Ireland, but this didn't stop him. Even as the potato blight began to disappear in 1848, Sturzelecki stayed in Ireland, continuing to distribute food every day. 
It's a good thing that he did, since the death toll rose again in 1849 and Strzelecki was still there to feed more people. When the Great Famine ended, Strzelecki became chairman of the Family Colonization Loan Society, an organization designed to help struggling Irish families resettle in Australia. He moved back to London in 1854. On October 6, 1873, Pavel Strzelecki died from liver cancer at the age of 76. In Poland and Australia, Strzelecki has been widely memorialized for his explorations. He has been an unsung hero in Ireland for most of its history, but he came to prominence in 2011 when Michael Higgins, a big fan of his, became president of Ireland. Since then, Strzelecki has been recognized and honored throughout Ireland. For the past few months, the National Museum of Ireland has been running an exhibition about Strzelecki in Castlebar County, Mayo. If you live in Ireland and don't mind wearing a mask for a few hours, I recommend you check it out. And of course, in part due to his work, Ireland and Poland still share their special diplomatic relationship to this day. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. It seems like all that's happening these days is doom and gloom, so it was nice to read about the life-saving cooperation that took place during the Great Famine. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.